uh, as we continue our service, um, I want to welcome you again. My name is Ted. I serve as the Director of Operations here uh, for Reconciliation. Uh, super excited to dive into God's Word with you today. Um, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, so I'd encourage you, uh, whether you have a paper copy or digital copy, you won't offend me with the digital copy as long as you're not checking your email. Um, we'll go ahead and open up Revelation chapter 2. Uh, while you're there, uh, I want to point you towards giving. Um, you can, we can give, uh, we, we have blue boxes out in the foyer there, but the easiest way is actually to give uh, via text. You can text any dollar amount to 84321. Yeah, I got the number right. Uh, that's the easiest way to give. And, and to put it plainly, we give out of what God has already given to us. And so we're giving in response to what he's done and what he's provided for us. So I want to just point you towards that before we jump into the sermon. Now let me read the, the passage for us for today. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18. It says this. Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame, and whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction, unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to, you, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I'm not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my father, I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would have ears to hear from you. And God, let us uh, open up our, our hearts um, and our minds uh, to be ready to hear from you. Uh, God, we need you, uh, and we invite you here uh, right now. Um, Lord, thanks that you're with us. Uh, amen. Well, we're continuing our series in the book of Revelation. Uh, through this whole sermon series, we've seen that the church is at the center of the interest of Jesus Christ. That's kind of the, the main point of the whole overarching series that, that we've seen. In other words, we've seen that Jesus sees us and is especially concerned about us as his people. As a church, we exist much for the same reason as the churches in 
the New Testament. We want to make much of Jesus. We want to see other people come to know him clearly and to glorify God by doing that. Now, I know, especially reading this first this part, part that we're diving into today for the sermon and just hearing about the book of Revelation, there's all kinds of things that immediately just kind of pop into your mind. Uh, you might have that happen to you when you hear about other books, right, too. Like if you hear the book of Leviticus, you automatically have like ideas and things that pop in and kind of distract you from what we might talk about in the sermon today. We've made caricatures in a lot of ways out of books of the Bible and, and it kind of distracts us because the reason that we made a caricature out of the book of Revelation is because of pop culture and things that make it seem like it's a sci-fi movie rather than just one of the books of the Bible that is good for us to learn and know about. And sadly, some pastors say, well, we just know that Jesus wins in the end, so that's all we need to know. It's not all we need to know. That is a great thing, and it's true, but we should learn and study this text. So if you feel like the book of Revelation is unapproachable, I want to encourage you, Jesus wants us to read this book. The churches in this time period would have read the book of Revelation out loud, and people were not afraid to dive into it. Uh, one pastor, uh, to paraphrase him, said this. He said that, Children have a much easier time understanding the book of Revelation than adults do because children don't restrain their imaginations. Adults are afraid of the vivid imagery and all the stuff that we would say is just crazy in the book of Revelation, and it inhibits us from learning it, whereas children are like, oh, I know what that's exactly about. Like, that's not obvious to you, mom and dad? So here's what we're looking at today. One of the, these seven churches that Jesus sends a letter to, we're looking at uh, Thyatira. Keep in mind that with these churches in Revelation and with us today, we're no better or no worse than the people here. These are real people with real successes, real failures. And the way that Jesus sees the people in these churches, he also sees the same things in us. Thyatira was a city of trade and commerce. This is in modern-day Turkey. And in the context of this passage, uh, emperor worship was a cultural norm. And Christians would have been persecuted for not following these other gods. So we're going to walk through the format of the letter just as it's written, and we're going to see three things. Verses 18 through 19, we're going to see an affirmation from Jesus. Verses 20 through 23, we're going to see how Jesus points out the temptation for the church. And in 24 through 29, we're going to see what motivates us to persist in the Christian life. If you don't hear anything else today, here's the big idea. Jesus is the Son of God. And since he's the Son of God, we should live by his teachings. Let's jump in. Verse, verse 18, it says, Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. 
Jesus is the Son of God, and the people in this church are living their lives for him. He immediately affirms this church for how they're living, right? And at the beginning of the letter, too, it's important to see how Jesus refers to himself. The Son of God. The one with absolute power and authority. This is actually the only place through these letters where Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God. So we know that whatever he's about to say, he's saying it with his divine authority. He's over all things, all people, all nations. He's speaking. He's announcing who he is. And actually, at the end of this letter, we see a common refrain from in the book of Revelation and actually in other parts of the New Testament where he says, let anyone who has ears to hear listen, or he who has an ear, let him hear. So God's inviting us to listen. Do you want to hear from God? That's our first question today. Do you want to listen and hear from the Son of God, the one who's divine and has complete authority? Or you just want to dismiss what he might say. Now, would you let yourself kind of wonder a little bit at how he describes himself instead of like, oh, that's weird. Look back at the text. His eyes is a fiery flame and fine bronze feet. One pastor, Sinclair Ferguson, points out that when you're up close and personal with a person, what's significant is what you see in their eyes. How do you think about the eyes of the people you know? Do they have tired eyes? Do they have joyful eyes? Are they kind? I think that's really appropriate, especially with this long season of COVID that we've been in, right? Where all we've kind of seen is each other's eyes. And if you, don't know, if you didn't know a person that you were talking to, you were like, I have no idea how they're saying what they're saying to me. Like, I'm just asking for directions and I don't know if they're being mean or not, right? The eyes matter. Jesus says of himself in verse 23 that he's the one who examines minds and hearts. His eyes of flame see through anything that we could pretend to be, right? Fire and flame refines. Fire illuminates. So his eyes, to him, nothing can be hidden from him. We can't pretend or put up some kind of facade with Jesus. I can't hide anything about my life from him. Even the things that I don't know about myself, Jesus knows. Even with that, the first thing he does is affirm the church. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. Now, Russell's already pointed out to us through this sermon series that Jesus always, is always in the midst of us, and he's keenly aware of how his people are living. When Jesus says, I know, he's not like a photojournalist who's like taking pictures from afar, but he knows what it's like to be us in our specific contexts. 
the way you hurt, the way you celebrate things. And he's praising the church here because they are growing in their lives as Christians. Their last works are greater than their first, meaning I've seen you maturing. I've seen you growing in your discipleship. Could we say that God is working among us? Imagine with me if God walked in right now and said, wow, look at, look at the works you've done. Look at how you've invited me to work amongst you. We want this to be said of us. We want Jesus to say, I see your love, your faithfulness, service, endurance. Uh, before we move on, ask yourself, since nothing is hidden from Jesus, what does he see in you? Since Jesus is the Son of God, we should live our lives for him. But the only way to do that is to know what he teaches. Our problem is we're tempted to stray away from Jesus' teachings. Uh, let's look at verse 20. This is uh, the church's temptation. Jesus says, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction, unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Our second point today is this, that since Jesus is the Son of God, we should recognize and repent of false teaching. If we're going to live lives for Jesus, we have to be aware of what doesn't honor God. Think about this. What's the real problem here with this church? Sure, there's a false teacher, but their real problem is tolerating the false teaching. Their real problem is tolerance. Now, if you're listening to me, you're probably thinking, well, tolerance, that's weird, because aren't we supposed to be tolerant? Aren't we supposed to pursue unity and love amongst one another? Of course. But that's not what we're talking about here, right? This isn't being patient because someone has a different personality type or uh, we're dealing with immaturity levels or uh, putting aside uh, preferences of music. This is a much more serious thing. This person who's referred to as Jezebel isn't someone who's just different from the rest of the church. It actually seems from the text that she's a church member who's got serious influence and she's leading people astray. Now, I, I want to pause for a second because I, I know, even with the amount of people who are in this room, that even this phrasing using the word Jezebel brings up pain points. Because this text has been misused 
by men, pastors, in churches to mistreat and abuse women. So just as an aside, this is not a passage about women's roles or gender. Uh, and this isn't a passage that should be used to mistreat or degrade women, okay? That's just not what this passage is about. So it's a terrible thing that churches have done that, and I just need to put that out there. The problem with tolerating false teaching is that it leads to death. What Jesus teaches brings us life. We can guess that probably Jezebel actually isn't this woman's real name, but that everyone in this church would know who he's talking about. Jezebel is used to reflect themes that the original hearers of the text would know from 1st and 2nd Kings. In the Old Testament, Jezebel led people in compromise and sin, denying the gospel of grace. So this person is claiming authority for herself. Notice Jesus claims authority for himself at the beginning of the letter. This woman is claiming authority for herself, speaking as a prophetess under her own authority. She's saying she's speaking for God. In verse 24, it says that she's teaching the secret, or other translations say, the deep things of Satan. So we've got to ask, especially for ourselves, why are the people in this church susceptible to this teaching? Maybe some people in the church didn't know the scriptures well enough. Maybe. But also I would say that a lot of people in this church probably wanted this. Some Bible commentators point out that the idleness and acceptance of Jezebel's teaching helped the Christians in this church financially. Thyatira's position as a city of commerce and trade and their willingness to take part in these actions with idol worship put them into social scenarios with people who they could trade with. So it made their pockets bigger. Friends, I want to invite you to take caution whenever someone's personal gain is tied to Jesus' name. Our lives are not about growing our pockets. We're supposed to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow the way of Jesus. He doesn't want us to be self-imposed martyrs, but he doesn't want you to take your greatest pleasure in things here on earth or what you can do to get more in this world. I hope you see the warning here. We need to be on the lookout for false teaching. Not all Bible teaching is biblical teaching. As I said, maybe some of the folks in this church didn't know the scriptures. But there were definitely those in this church that knew enough and were just allowing things to go explicitly wrong because it benefited them or it just made them feel good. We should find ourselves really cautious when charismatic leaders suddenly find themselves in powerful positions and they loosely fit things of faith or Christianity with their platform. The church in Thyatira had explicit 
obvious problem with this prophetess and false teaching. It reminds me, several years ago, I was walking with a friend of mine in Crabtree Mall. And uh, we were just walking around, and uh, this other guy kind of comes up to us, and he says, hey, you guys want to do a quick Bible study? Just a random guy. We'd never met him before. And uh, me and my friend, both being guys who led Bible studies for a living, were like, yeah, sure. Like, let's do it, man. Um, very quickly, we realized we were interacting with a guy who was a, a part of a cult. And... Um, the reasons that we were able to know was even though we really didn't have like, you know, an amazing amount of Bible knowledge, we knew just enough to know about some of the contexts of the passages that this guy was putting in front of us. So where he was trying to convince us of extra things that Jesus wanted you to do to be able to be saved, like uh, celebrate certain feasts that are mentioned in the Old Testament, uh, he was also trying to convince us that there's a uh, God the Mother, too. And he was twisting Bible passages and trying to connect them together to convince us that that, that was the right way to read the Bible. Me and my friend, we already knew the context of the passages that he was showing us. It was obvious to us how he was manipulating God's Word. We already knew that we are saved by faith alone. I don't need to do one specific thing at one particular time of the year in order to be accepted by God. Since Jesus is the Son of God, we have to be able to recognize false teaching. Now, most of us aren't going to accidentally join a cult. But I believe that we also have hidden teaching that, that creeps into the church that we allow to happen. Political temptation. Falsely trying to blend man-made political views with Christian standards. News, social media. Bowing down to our curated social media platforms and giving in to our confirmation bias. Christian culture itself. Right? Christian subculture indirectly informs us what will fulfill us. You have to get married, get a doodle, and get a mortgage to be a fulfilled Christian. Right? Christian culture, there's no written book of Christian subculture, but this is the indirect messaging that creeps in to tell us this will fulfill and sustain us. Jesus says don't tolerate false teaching, whether it's obvious or it's hidden. Look how seriously he takes this. At first it seems like, man, Jesus, that's hard punishment that he's giving this woman, right? Like it's, it's kind of hard to read. Uh, again, Ferguson is helpful here. He says the nature of punishment tells us the seriousness of the crime. Read with me verse 20, verses 22 and 23. He says, look, I will throw her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her, which that, that, probably doesn't mean actual adultery. It probably means like following her teachings. Uh, throw them in a great affliction unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts and I will give to you, to each of you according to your works. Now, I, I don't know about 
the, the punishment stuff here and the, the physical stuff, is this a metaphor or what? But I do know how seriously Jesus takes teachings that mislead his people. How much he cares for us. Regardless of how well church leadership will care for its flock, Jesus will do something ultimately significant to protect his people. They will know that in his love, he will do something about sin. And that's what we want, right? It can be hard to read about God punishing sin, but that's what we want. A God who isn't far off and different. We don't want a God that tolerates sin or the pain we experience or uh, everything that's wrong in this world. The passage is showing us the severity of leading people astray. And it's showing us our responsibility to recognize and repent of false teaching. Think about this with me. Uh, when Ashley and I first got married, I had a pretty uh, terrible neck injury. It was, it was another time it was really funny how, I, how it happened after, after I healed. Um, but whenever I went to my primary care doctor, uh, he didn't assess my injury at all. He, he just looked at me and said, you want some muscle relaxers? No, well, yeah, but no. I, no, I don't want muscle relaxers. I want you to, like, what's going on? What's happening here? You know, it's an awful thing to have a problem and not know about it. It's a great thing to know what our problems are because then we can find a solution. And with us, we can bring them to the only one who can fix our problems. Jesus said it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. We know we can't live completely moral lives. We won't get everything right. He gives the opportunity to repent and believe. He actually gives the woman in this text and the people who are following her time to repent and believe. Uh, Revelation chapter 1 verses 17 and 18 say, uh, When I saw him, Jesus, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. That's the gospel. We should be dead in the presence of a holy God. And he says, don't be afraid. With me, you can live. Are we tolerating false teaching? Are you actively or maybe unwittingly consuming false teaching and applying it to your life? And that might take a lot of self-reflection, too, for, the, for the, the hidden and more covert messages that we have, right? But are you applying false teaching to your life? You're probably saying, Ted, that sounds exhausting to always, like, how, do I, how will I know? Right? It sounds exhausting to me. <laughs> How can we keep it up? Well, here's our motivation, and, and this will be how we close, too, in verses 24 through 29. 
I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, I'm not putting any other burden on you, only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter, and he will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Our last point today is this, that since Jesus is the Son of God, we should hope in Him as our eternal gift. Jesus is saying, there's some of you that aren't following this false teaching. Keep on. Follow me. I'm not burdening you with anything else other than what you already know is required. You should live a life for Him. Whatever you need to do to pursue unity amongst one another. Whatever you need to do to grow in your works of love and faithfulness and endurance and service, growing in Christ-likeness, do those things. Hold on, Jesus said, and you'll share in my authority, and that will be your reward. But most of all, look at verse 28. He says, you'll have the morning star. Now that's from the last chapter, chapter 22 of Revelation in verse 16. He's talking about himself. The bright morning star. The beauty of the gospel is that even though Jesus Christ sees everything about us, he offers us the promise of himself. Eternity with him. Our temptation is to tolerate sin and false teaching in our lives. But we can praise Jesus because he wasn't tolerant of sin. That's how much he loves us. And when you love someone and you see them in danger, you don't just sit back and watch them get hurt. Jesus Christ stepped towards us, left the comfort of heaven, and entered into our discomfort so that we could be free from the penalty of sin and join him in eternity. If you're a Christian in this room, what things did you find yourself hoping for this week? What do you spend most of your time thinking about? Maybe more importantly, what things, if you don't have them, make you angry? Or, or what things, if they don't go your way, just really frustrate you? Don't let those things be your hope. If you believe in Jesus Christ today, let him be your motivation for life now and for eternity. A life for Christ, recognizing false teaching, continually living in the promise of eternity with Jesus. This is what we're invited to. This is the only way we should live. Whether you believe in Jesus or not today, you're invited not to live by the words of any human being or some mantra or some romanticized view of things that you think will fill you. You're invited to life with Jesus Christ. He came so that we might live and have life to the full. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for your goodness and your kindness towards us. I pray, God, that um, 
We wouldn't seek anything in ourselves uh, to find ourselves worthy of you or to be approved by you. Uh, God, would you uh, help us to recognize uh, the things that you might affirm in us? God, help us to see if we've been uh, falsely applying things into our lives that you haven't asked us to and that would actually keep us from life in you, God. And God, I just pray that uh, for all of us in this room today, uh, that we would find our eternal hope and security uh, in Jesus' name alone. Uh, Lord, we need you and we love you. Amen.